Today's scripture reading is Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, our friends and community at The Way, and to those who are dropping in from further away. If you don't know why we named our community, our church, The Way, uh, a good deal before ancient Christians were called Christians, they were called followers of The Way. What I like about that is that it connotes a long road, a long path, not one of completion, but a long path of what it means for people who follow Jesus to learn from him and to learn from him along a long, long road. Uh, since it's been almost a year of us worshiping in person, I haven't met some of you. So to properly introduce myself, I'm Tim Lian. I'm the pastor here at The Way, and I am looking forward to looking at you all in the eyes instead of through a camera and laptop. We are in the second week of a six-week series we're calling Healing in Lament. And last week we just said very simply there are two kinds of biblical lament that we see. And uh, one is communal and one is individual lament. So each week in this six weeks we're alternating between the two. Last week was communal and this week is individual lament. Lament is actually a brief season. Uh, it's a, These 40 days are about 11% of a yearly cycle. Um, any more than that any would not be good. It wouldn't be good to live our lives all in lament. But it's so important to manicure and help grow that section of our emotional um, health that is lament, our, that section of the soul that is proper lament. Uh, not all of life is sad, but when we do ignore godly lament, we become emotionally stunted. We become spiritually stunted. We're less human. We're not more enlightened. We are less so. So last week we had a definition for lament. Very simple one, biblical one. Um, lament is grief at what should be, but isn't. And lament is grief at what should not be, but it currently is. Now, I think we actually get into a pretty sticky situation rather quickly this week when we look at individual lament from Psalm 13. And here's why. It's a little easier to look at communal lament, things happening in a broader culture, uh, in 
broader systems and organizations, things happening on a wide scale when many people are participating in something. Because it's hard to pin it on one person, it's hard to find a specific scapegoat. It's called the dilution of blame. Uh, Sarah Koenig from Serial Series says, when blame is spread out and diluted, it becomes easier to shrug off. Uh, I saw this recently. Uh, you might have read the LA Times article about offers for vaccines for normal people outside of tier one. And like a lot of you, um, we received texts and emails with a special code. And it said, uh, Melissa and I received one. And that code could get you an appointment for a vaccine, even if you weren't in tier one. And this was the reasoning behind it. They, uh, the email went on to explain that there was, they were opening a new clinic or a new site and they were opening up a new process and they were testing logistics and they couldn't get people to sign up or te but they wanted to test the capacity of their, their logistics and they didn't want vaccines to go to waste. So, um, they need some normies, some, some people not tier one to sign up. Uh, as it turns out, according to the LA Times article, guess what? Totally false, not true. And thousands of people were able to cut in line and get a vaccine. No, we did not get a vaccine, if that's your question in your mind right now. But who do you blame? Who do you blame for that? When it's so spread out, the dilution of blame makes it easier to shrug off. But when we look at individual lament, it, it actually makes us squirm. And not because you just look at yourself in the mirror, right? Not just for blame per se. I don't mean, I'm, I don't, but, but this is what you say in individual lament. I am sad and I ups, I'm upset. I hate that I am, I am what I shouldn't be. I'm sad. I'm upset. I hate that I'm not what I should be. And when we do that, we are poking at a cultural, modern, secular sin. And I don't mean Christianity. Uh, because the modern, secular sin is this. Do not, and I repeat, do not say bad things about the self or yourself. So how, in individual lament, can we articulate real disappointment about the state of our person? Wouldn't that just be psychologically destructive? It's almost better not to dabble in that. Uh, Becky Pippert um, uh, quite, quite famously said this. She said, you know, hate is not the opposite of love. Indifference is the opposite of love. And, and, and so uh, I, I like to think of it this way. Hate and love ride up front together and hate and love hold hands. Uh, let me explain it this way. If you, if, if you have sat with and watched a parent whose child has muscular dystrophy, as I have, and you're watching those painful, painful daily exercises and massagings that happen, those parents hate that disease. I'm talking about loathe. I'm talking about spitting rage that is forceful. You will not find a parent indifferent to muscular dystrophy. 
You will not find a parent with a child who has muscular dystrophy and they're even keeled or philosophical about the disease. Why is that? Because their love is so, so great and deep. Hate and love roll together. They do. If you've ever walked in on your parent raging, spitting mad at you, it's more than likely you're doing something destructive to yourself or to others. And mom will not let you have it because of love, not indifference. Uh, my favorite sentient robot has wisdom for us all here. Uh, this is Vision from WandaVision. He says, what is grief if not love persevering? What is grief if not love persevering? Not a bad sketch definition of lament. Individual lament, I want to mark this out, is not confession. And when I discovered this, I realized that lament is super rare. We hardly ever do lament because we're confused. We just assume it's like confession. Here's the difference. Confession is admission that there's been a violation. And so confession, after that recognition of violation of a law or standard, it has an appeal for mercy, forgiveness, even grace. But lament is not confession. Lament is a sadness at the current state of where I am and who I am. Um, lament is this. I do not like this. I do not like the way that things are with me right now. I do not like that I feel forgotten. I do not like this one bit. I, I hate where I am. I hate what I am doing. I hate my lack of progress. I hate my weakness. I hate that I'm consumed with loathing my body and my ailments and who I am. Uh, writer and poet Kujegi Kamara, she tells this little story about when she was in the third grade and someone said, pointing to her, that girl is ugly. And she said that phrase followed her everywhere. outside the classroom, going home, into adulthood. She said, I could not shake it. It followed me everywhere, even when I started wearing a hajib. Statements about one's weaknesses, about oneself, are completely like ravaging bombs all by themselves. And so individual lament, and this is, this is what I'm trying to get at, this is why it's so sticky. Individual lament says, I hate that I'm broken. 
There's a measure of internal ugliness. And where is the healing in that? Won't that just follow us around, regardless of the masks we wear? See, confession is an admission that there's been a violation. In a, so there's an appeal for mercy, grace, forgiveness. Lament is this sadness at the state of who I am and where I am. And it's hard. This is why it's so hard for lament to get airtime. is because we live in a cultural moment that does not affirm any negative self-talk. It is forbidden. It is prohibited. Um, it's one of the main sins of our current historical societal place. You cannot, cannot, cannot suggest that there are problems with the self. You can suggest that there are new routines and new patterns and activities to institute life betterment. But we are not allowed to suggest that there is something flawed with me. No, that is the modern secular sin. You must always affirm the self as intact, perfect, beautiful, and noble. So, but imagine, imagine the conflict on, uh, in my position as a pastor, imagine the conflict that arises after years of positivity. Imagine what happens when we begin to know ourselves, our inner life and our inner selves more than anyone else. And we know the mantras of self-esteem coaching. And yet, I know what the outsiders don't know. I have not been fixed. The programs haven't worked. Um, there are no more pro tips and expert life hacks or tricks that fix me. Not this pain, not this hatred, not this helplessness, not what I have going. But we do know this, there is coping there's diversion, there's escape, there's denial, there's overworking, there's finding new hobby after new hobby after new hobby, there's finding it at the bottom of a bottle, there's finding it from bed to bed to bed to bed, there's scheduling the next fun thing on the calendar, always cramming your schedule to never stop. There is vicarious living through your children, there is nonstop busyness, but there is not much room for lament individual lament, a quietness, that this, I am sad that my state is this way. That's why individual lament is so controversial. That's why you don't have many people talking about it. You're committing this massive secular sin. Never, ever, ever question the state of personal being. It's all good. Find something to do. So let's go to the psalm to guide us, right? Verse 1, David says, you know, I, I feel, he's talking to God. I, I feel like this is taking way too long, God. I feel like you've forgotten the David project, verse 1. I feel like you're avoiding eye contact with me, God. The intimacy and acceptance of yourself, the relationship, verse 1, like I feel like that's gone. Verse 2, I feel like I just have to figure things out on my own now, I guess. I continue to look inside for the solutions. I hate that. I've been doing that for the last 35 years. I'm super tired of that. Verse 2, I feel sad because I know 
where my advice and my strategies and my resolutions have gotten me. That song has been playing on repeat for the last 35 years. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of trying to figure this out alone. And I feel like you're not very involved. God, verse 2. I'd like your attention. I'd like your consideration. Would you put your focus on me? Would you put your spotlight on me just a bit? I need encouragement inside. This is verse 3. I'm not, I'm not asking for a lottery ticket to change my circumstances. I'm not asking that. I'm asking you, would you create a click that goes off inside of me? I need something that does something internal and deep because I'm feeling dead inside. That's verse 3. And then what is, what is this strange fear that David has? of his opponent and enemy. He's afraid that his enemy is going to say, we were right about you. We saw it. We knew it. And now, everyone's going to see it. You are pathetic. You're done. Yeah, you shouldn't be king, yeah, you're done. You're over. You're canceled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But inside, you were never really king material anyway. See, we just had to wait for it to come out. And here it is. The real you. See how it strikes at the core of the self. See, confession is this. I did a bad thing. I broke something. And lament says, oh, what if I'm the bad thing? What if I am the thing that is broken? See, lament has shards of shame. You're so pathetic that God is through with you. You kind of disgust him. God is done with you. He's left you because you are pretty messed up. See, that's what David hears from his enemy. Okay, so so you see the sticky thing with lament, individual lament. Because you could say this, Hey, Tim, you're asking us to lament that we hate, that we're now broken, and this feels like shame-based therapy. And then the enemies and the self call out how broken we are, and they accuse us of being found out as broken. Tim, Tim, this is, this, this, I don't know if I can do this individual lament. See, maybe this is why I don't like Christianity. All right. In the scriptures, the devil, the evil one, is called many things. Satan, Beelzebub, the evil one, El Diablo, Moloch, enemy, father of lies, deceiver, destroyer, dragon, serpent. But the one that has the most prominence, his official one, the one that God uses most of of, of Satan. You know what his main referent is? His main name? The accuser. He accuses. You know what it sounds like? You really do have weak willpower. 
boy, you really got angry there. Wow. You tripped up again. Doing that same sin again, are we? Hmm. You know good and well you shouldn't have done that. You know you really have no excuse. You know, that was no accident. You planned that one. You are the same pathetic person doing the same pathetic person things all these years later. Who are you kidding? Christianity hasn't worked on you so well. You want to know why? You're an exceptional screw-up. You're actually special. You're special in how disgusting you are. You cannot possibly be one of God's loved and treasured children. What is devastating about the accuser? His observations about our life are <laughs> He's got video evidence. 19 ESPN stadium cameras buzzing around your life, my life. So where is the father of lies lying? If he's spitting truth about our actions. This is where he's lying. David points it out. David says in verse 5, he says, But I've trusted in your steadfast love. You know where he's lying? Is that God's love isn't ongoing. It isn't persistent. It isn't unstoppable. It actually can be stopped. It's probably just hinged on your smile and or your failures. David points to it. The lie is that God doesn't have unswerving, unstoppable love. So where's the father of lies lying? David says this in verse 5. He says, My heart is going to rejoice in your salvation The lie is this, is that it is contingent on you getting your act together. Right? Your performance will fix you. And the lie is this, is that you better lose hope on your performance because you're just, you're not cutting it. You're going to rescue yourself. That's the lie. The truth is, no, you have a saver. And he is the one who works and does the saving and the salvation. It is not you. So where does the father of lies, where does he lie? The accuser lies at this very point. The observations about our sin are true. The, the accuser, he's a very good lawyer. 
But here's the lie. At this point, the greatest message to ever be delivered to humanity, it is finished. I am taking the punishment. You are scot-free because of me. That's the greatest message ever given to humanity is this, is every last accusation lands on my son, period. And the accuser wants them to land on you. That's the lie. The enemy wants you to defend yourself, and you can't defend yourself. Because you know what? All the video evidence. But David steers his mind to this truth, this great relieving news that he's holding on to. What? I have trusted in your steadfast love. Ongoing, persistent, nonstop, unconditional love. I, I, my heart's going to rejoice in you saving. I will sing to the Lord because you have dealt bountifully with me. Full stop. See, without the assurance of verse 5 and 6, your lament will be sadness. Your individual lament will be sadness, hopelessness, and tailspin. And the accusations will land on you. And you'll either do this. You'll either go into weird, ultra-self-esteem mode. Uh, I'm good. I'm great. I'm wonderful. Uh, nothing's wrong. I'm good. I'm okay. I really am. I am supercharged, supersized, super positive. <laughs> or you'll agree with the accuser's evidence. And worse, you'll agree with your enemy that your brokenness finally made the father hold his nose and toss you away. See, with the assurance of God as the one who absorbs the accusations and all the all, everything that the accuser can throw at him, we can finally lament without it touching who we are. We can finally do it. We're rescued so that we are reintroduced to the spectrum of emotion that has been denied us through secular super positivity. See, in this modern moment... Uh, this modern moment won't let you lament the brokenness of self. It won't let you do it. And you can't do it because to do so would mean that the accuser is right about us. But when we can lament and hate our own brokenness, because we know that God's release statement about us happens in Jesus, that's God's press release about Tim and Darren, and Dave, and Gabe, and Christy, and Sharon. That's his press release. Do you want to know my thoughts on so-and-so? Um, Jesus. Jesus. See, then we're allowed to enter into spaces of lament, and it will never destroy us, and it cannot damage us. See, we're allowed back into this spectrum where emotions have been denied. What's happening? Well, we're becoming more human. We've expanded our emotional range. And you talk to any therapist, that is healing. Becoming more human, an expanded emotional range, a fuller sense of reality, without having to run away or cope or find diversions and avoid and medicate, that's a gift. We're enabled to finally, truly lament, making fuller people because every last true and sharp accusation has been rammed into the side of our Savior. 
We grieve at our brokenness and our state. Yes, but not like ones who have no hope. We say this, I am so messed up, but my Savior is healing me. I am so broken, but He is making me whole. I hate that I do the things I don't want to do, but He is building in me new desires. I hate my progress. He will never abandon the Tim project. I hate my continual forgetting. He remembers his love and his covenant. See, you can lament your weakness and your brokenness. You can stay here with me until Easter. Why? Because it's not the last word on you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you so much for including Psalm 13. Thank you for giving us a real space where we can be sad about our brokenness without damaging our mind and souls. Thank you for taking every last dart of the accuser and have them aimed at your own son. Would you allow us that rare space of individual lament and may we be healed by the work of Jesus through your spirit among your people, we pray.